Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. On Wednesday of this past week, we celebrated the birthday of St. Polycarp. Uh, We say his birthday because this is uh, the feast of his martyrdom, the day he was born into heaven. This happened a long time ago, 167 AD. He was 86 years old when he was killed. Polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna, and when he was there as bishop in his 30s, St. Ignatius Uh, who was the disciple of St. Peter from Antioch, was passing through on his way for his martyrdom. Also a very well-known story. St. Ignatius addressed one of his epistles, one of his famous letters from the Apostolic Fathers, was addressed to Polycarp. uh, It's the one to the Philippians, but it was actually written to Polycarp. Polycarp is also the person who collected all of the Ignatian epistles. He was also, very notably, uh, a disciple and knew St. John the Apostle. Every year I read the epistle of the Smyrnans, which is the account of the martyrdom of Polycarp. It's a very important document from the early church. It was written probably within 10 years of the Apostle John's death. We sent it out to you this week, and I encourage you to read it. You might also like to read the uh, St. Ignatius epistle to the Philippians as a companion piece, because that goes along as also to Polycarp. The epistle of the Smyrnans, which describes St. Polycarp's death, it really is the proto-martyology of the church. It's the first work of its kind. And it's notable, not just because it's the first, but it really sets the tone for all subsequent martyrologies. It is Polycarp, after Jesus and the Apostles and those in the New Testament, of course, it is Polycarp who teaches us how to die. And there is little in this world more beautiful than a holy death. The letter itself testifies that the events being described give us an example, show us an example of martyrdom which is conformable to the gospel. Which is to say, this is at the very prologue, the entry Uh, beginning of of this epistle, which is to say that we're going to describe for you the exemplary death of a great and holy man who died in the same holy way that our Lord and the apostles died. I'll just add that this should concern us, all of us, even the young who feel immortal for a while, till you get to my age, I'm past that feeling um, a little bit. Maybe, maybe the young don't think so much about death. But all of us should be concerned with how we're going to die. In fact, the truth is we are preparing for it every day we're alive. We're praying to our Blessed Mother every day. Help us to die well in the hour of our death, we pray. In the hour of our death, 
in the hour of our death. The concern about how we die is not just a concern about how we die, it's really a concern about how we live. And the account of Polycarp's martyrdom really was the beginning. <clears throat> it was the beginning of a very important genre of literature in the church, which became integral to the Christian life. It's integral to our life. You get these stories every week in your email box that many of you read. Thousands and thousands of martyrologies have been written and collected into books and read and reread by millions and millions and millions of Christians throughout the centuries. And all of them basically follow this one about Polycarp to the Smyrnans in their descriptions of a holy death. They sort of carry along the same themes, the same thesis that is in this particular account is the same thesis for all of them. It's the same basic point that's being made. And so I want to point out a few things to you this morning from the account of Polycarp's martyrdom. And not just because it was his feast this past week, but primarily because it ex explicates our gospel lesson this morning. So I'm going to talk to you about Polycarp, but I'm really preaching to you the gospel. <laughs> our particular gospel from this morning. The introductory remarks basically, as I said, say that this story is going to show you how to die well, how to die like Jesus. And I'm going to read to you here just a couple paragraphs. And these paragraphs are also in the, they come immediately after. This is like the fifth and sixth paragraph. They're very short paragraphs. So this is right at the beginning, sets the tone, basically says, this is what it means to die well gives us a description, and this description that you're about to hear is pretty much what you read in every other single martyrology of the saints, those who died well. Uh, so this is the first thing we need to know about how the saints met their death. The princess is always beautiful, right? The sheriff always gets his van, and this is how the saints die <laughs> in all the stories. He says, For who could fail to admire their nobility and patient endurance and loyalty to the master. Seeing that when they were so torn by lashes that even as far as the veins and arteries and inward mechanism of their flesh were visible, they endured patiently so that the very bystanders had pity and wept while they themselves reached such a pity pitch of bravery, that none of them uttered a cry or a groan, thus showing to us all that at that hour the martyrs of Christ being tortured were absent from the flesh, or rather that the Lord was standing by and conversing with them. Notice the explicit emphasis here. First, they are noble. They are noble. They are patiently enduring. They are loyal. And they are brave. And again, he says, patiently enduring. Why? And he tells us why. Because they were absent from the flesh. They were in the spirit. They were conversing with Christ who was standing by them, with them, as they were being tortured. The very next paragraph says this. And giving heed unto the grace of Christ, they despised the tortures of this world, purchasing at the cost of one hour, a release 
from eternal punishment. And they found the fire of their inhuman torturers cold. For they set before their eyes the escape from the eternal fire, which is never quenched, while with the eyes of their heart they gazed upon the good things which are reserved for those that endure patiently. Things which neither ear has heard nor eye seen, neither have they entered into the heart of man, but were shown by the Lord to them, for they were no longer men, but angels already. Again, they endured patiently the demonic fire of their torturers and found them cold because the eyes of their art saw the rewards of faith and courage and they could die nobly because they lived nobly. They could die with a superhuman courage and peace, utter peace, patiently because that is how they lived. So this is not just a description of how to die. This is a description of how we must live in the midst of trials and sufferings in this life. Now when we get to the particulars of Polycarp's story, he exemplifies, and that's what the whole epistle is about. He exemplifies this sort of cool, calm repose in the face of his torturers. Three days before he was actually killed, he prophesied to his disciples, those that had gathered around him, saying, it must needs be that I be burned alive. God had given him a vision. And he was like, just so you know, a few days, I need to be burned alive. That's what's going to happen. When the enemy finally found him, and it was through an act of betrayal, somebody betrayed his whereabouts, it's not that he was afraid. He actually wanted to just go give himself in, but all of his disciples were like, no, you need to hide as long as you can. But somebody betrayed him, so they came and riding in on horses, and they were amazed, it said, at his constancy. <laughs> That's the word that was used, his constancy. And then he welcomed them in, and he ordered all the servants to fill the table with food. And, and prepare a banquet, a great spread for those that had come to arrest and kill him. So he fed them all, and while they ate, they allowed him to pray, and he prayed uninterrupted for two solid hours. And when at last it came time for him to be led away, they took him. And he came before the prefect, and they began to, you know, interrogate him and try and persuade him, first to offer incense to Caesar, and all he said in response was, I'm not going to do what you counsel me. <laughs> you can just hear him say that. I'm not going to do that, no. Finally, after a lot of back and forth, he was taken to the stadium and it was filled with crowds. And when he came in, there was a voice from heaven. Jesus spoke. Actually, they said they all heard it. The others heard the voice and heard what was said. And I, this is one of my favorite parts. <laughs> Jesus said to him, Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. <laughs> That's what Jesus said to him when he came there into the stadium. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. The others heard the voice. He was pressed again to recount his faith, and he responded, Eighty-six years have I been his servant. He's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the king who saved me? 
He urged them. He was like, get on with it. You're going to burn me. I know I need to burn. Just get on with it. Why are you dragging this out? Lead me to the fire. After other exchanges, finally, the decision was made that he should be burned at the stake. They contemplated bringing in the wild beasts and this and that, but finally the decision was that he should be burned just as he had predicted. He prepared himself, it says, he took off his upper garments. And then he took off his shoes, which was an interesting detail there about his shoes, because it says that he never took his shoes off. And the reason he didn't take his shoes off is because everybody was always getting down and trying to touch his feet. Because he was so holy, he was so revered while he was alive, that everyone wanted to touch his flesh. And so he'd keep his shoes on so people wouldn't be, you know, clamoring around trying to touch his feet. And they noted this in the story. He took off his shoes. We never saw him do that before. Then they were about to nail him to a stake, to burn him. And this detail, I think, sort of sums up his bravery and grace in the whole story. As they were about to drive the nails in, he stopped them and he said, Leave me as I am, for he that has granted me to endure the fire will grant me also to remain at the pyre unmoved, even without the security with which you seek from the nails. So, quote, they did not nail him, but tied him. Then he, placing his hands behind him and being bound to the stake like a noble ram out of a great flock for an offering, a burnt sacrifice made ready and acceptable to God. He prayed. There's a long prayer in the account I won't read, but you should read it. It's beautiful. He prayed and they lit the fire. And it says he glowed. There was a great aura around him. He was not burning. He was not consumed in the flames. He glowed, it says, like a loaf of bread in the oven. Or like gold in the furnace being refined. He glowed. And his torturers were concerned because he wouldn't die in the flames. And so they could all smell this fragrant incense emanating from the fire. And this spicy smell. And the fire wouldn't consume him, so... He, someone was instructed, one of the soldiers were instructed, and they went up and they stabbed him with a dagger, and so much blood flowed out that it extinguished the fire. But eventually he died. His disciples wanted his body, but the authorities were afraid that, you know, he might be worshipped or take the place of that Christ. And so they burned his body thoroughly, and his bones alone were left, but his disciples actually by a miracle and the grace of God, were able to get in and collect his bones. This is also very important in the history of the church. Very important story about relics. This is early on. We're talking <laughs> very beginning. They went and they collected his bones, which they said were more valuable to them than precious stones and than fine gold. And they took his bones, they said, to a very special place, an altar where they could celebrate the Eucharist and remember Polycarp and venerate him on his feast as the, their father in the faith. That's the story of Polycarp. Back to our gospel for just a moment. In our gospel, the storm raged. The storm was raging. The boat was tossed, about to capsize. The disciples, who were not yet ready for martyrdom, <laughs> the immature disciples, were stricken with fear and cried out, 
Jesus slept calmly in the boat, peacefully, in the bottom of the boat, because he knew that he would rise from the dead and all would be well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.